Joining me today is one of the golfing greats. She sprang onto the scene in the early 1990s, and by 2008, she had won a staggering 72 LPGA titles, including 10 majors. After a well-earned break, she returned to the course this year, and it didn't take long for her to return to winning weights, as she claimed the US Senior Women's Open in August. She remains the only woman to have shot below 60 in a professional tournament and is one of just six women to have featured on the PGA Tour. More recently, she has overseen golf's successful return to the Olympics and was elected president of the International Golf Federation last year. Welcome to the President's Club. And she continues to use her own foundation to develop golf around the world and amongst its aims, supporting the next generation of female golfers. Welcome to the podcast, Annika Sorenstam. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, I realize that actually this is a rather propitious day to be talking to you because we're into the opening salvos of uh, the Ryder Cup in Michigan. We are. It's a, it's a big golf week, um, you know, not just for golfers, but I know a lot of people are tuning in. It's exciting when the U.S. plays against Europe and uh Got the TV on here in the background. Just, uh, you know, it's hard to take your eyes off it. It's always very exciting. Well, I'm ha particularly happy because actually I'm talking to you from Los Angeles. So <laughs> I'm sort of, <laughs> I'm three hours early on that, but uh, it's a slightly more benign time zone than uh, had I been sitting in Europe. But look, let, let me get into um, our conversation today. And look, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for you to have taken the time, particularly at, at this point big moments in, in the season for you. Uh, one of the themes that I love exploring uh, on these podcasts, uh, particularly with those that have gone on to really achieve levels of excellence that are sort of jaw-dropping in, in so many different sectors, is really the shape of formative years, the influences, influence uh, of family, friends, landscape, geography that really quintessentially, in a way, sum up the human condition. But I just want to park your glittering career for a moment and pick up on something that you said as a, as a young girl, which was that you admitted that you actually occasionally deliberately fluffed shots mm -hmm. in order to uh, avoid winning and the inevitability of a, uh, an acceptance or, or, or a winning speech. Well, as president of international golf you're going to be I can tell you from experience you'll get Annika you're going to be making a lot of those those speeches but I'd like to just pick up the the sentiment that clearly shaped so much of what you went on to do and and even the early challenge that you overcame yeah well first of all it's true because a lot of people think no that can't be true why would you why would you throw away uh tournaments because you're afraid of you know getting on a little podium or being, you know, being highlighted. And I mean, it started really in school. I was afraid to raise my hand in class in case, you know, I would answer the wrong thing and all the other kids would, would you know, would laugh at you. So I was quite uh, quiet and I figured, you know, I can do well on the test, but I just didn't want to participate necessarily. And it was more just fear. I'm not really sure where that comes from, but the shyness, of course. And, you know, it's, it's always been, you know, within me, but you know, on the golf courses, you know, in Sweden, we have the tradition of giving some remarks after a competition, especially if you do well. And, and I, I just dreaded the, you know, the thought of it, of standing there and saying something. And I always told them, I'd rather, you know, have my clubs do the talking. And uh, 
so yeah, so I did uh, throw a few tournaments away and I think my parents, they realized that, you know, it, they were thinking, why, why is our daughter just messing up on the end? You know, is she, is she nervous coming down the end or what, what, why is she messing up when she's playing so solid early on? And, and uh, so they came up uh, with a plan and, and uh, the next tournament I played and they wanted everybody to make some remarks. And, and you can imagine, you know, my thoughts and, you know, I said, well, I didn't win. I, I don't need to say anything. And we said, we'd love to hear from you anyway, Annika. So my dad gave me, a, he gave me a club and he said, why don't you just bring the club up there and squeeze it as hard as you need and, and, uh, and just kind of share that you'd rather have the clubs do the talking. And, and somehow I managed and then I realized that maybe it's not as bad as, as I thought it would be because, you know, I'm quite competitive. I'm quite stubborn. And the thought of sitting in the car going home, knowing that I could win, uh, you know, haunted me for a long time. So, you know, I think golf just gave me the confidence and obviously things have changed and I had to give a few winning speeches in my life. And, and you realize that it's, you know, it's just kind of the backside of the meadow, if you know what I mean, there's always some other things you got to do. Not everything is, it's a joy. So, but I've learned to, to do it. And, um, you know, I try to think positive that if somebody wants to hear from me, that means I've done something well. So trying to look at it that way, rather than, you know, kind of run away from it. <laughs> How old were you at the time that you were having this? Um, yeah, I was you know, a little in a turmoil. Yeah, 14, 15, 16. Okay. You know, it's a little bit of a, a funny time for young girls as far as confidence and just, yeah. you know, and I think that's just how I reacted. I'm interested because what you've actually touched upon is is something that just occurred to me as you were speaking. I guess it's that inevitable balance, isn't it, between in a competitor's psyche, the need for success uh, balanced off against the, the fear of failure. Uh, where does that balance, where did that balance for you in your career sit? Yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, it's, I think it was, you know, I never really wanted the, the limelight. I never really, I just wanted to take the trophy and run. <laughs> but I mean, that's not really how it well, worked. Before playing the tournament. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I actually afterwards I wanted to earn earn the trophy, but I was okay to just take it and run. Um, but I think you know it. What I I guess a little bit maturity and and just realization and responsibility. You realize that it's a lot more than just you know doing that. And and then later um, I realized that I can you know help others with you know with what I say and maybe inspirational words or just but also talking about, you know, facing your fear in life. I, I mean, we all have things that we don't enjoy, you know, things that we kind of shy from. And I'm sure you do as well with, you know, what you have achieved and, uh, you know, greatly in your life. So I think, you know, you just have to kind of face, face that fear. And I think to me, to be able to talk about it is important now, but at that time, of course, I was, I was probably, you know, even embarrassed to talk about it, you know, like who in the world would do this, you spend all those hours working on your game, and then you just throw it away. And, it, you know, it sounds ridiculous. But then when you have such a fear, you would do anything not to do it. So, you know, I golf is really giving me that confidence. And, you know, now to be able to have that voice and be able to share that, you know, in other cases, whatever it is, you know, if you're going to get somewhere in life, you know, you have to step up there and, and face it, you know, go out there and and I think the biggest thing when you talk about balance is, you know, when I was prepared, you know, knowing it was coming, it made it a lot easier. So nowadays, I mean, if I need to do something, you know, I like to be prepared and then I, I don't feel uncomfortable anymore. I think it's a surprise, you know, when you play a tournament, you might not know that you're winning and all of a sudden you're winning, you got to say something or, you know, I remember 
I, um, you know, one of my first few years as a professional, I got a call from from the university in Arizona that I went to. Uh, they wanted me to give the commencement speech. And you can imagine, I mean, that's, I mean, those speeches have a lot of words, a lot of messages, a lot of important things, right, to share to the, you know, to this uh, graduating class, they're going to take this big step into their lives. And, and I remember, I said, are you sure you called the right person? <laughs> and they said, yeah, we sure we want to. And, you know, of course, I could have just said, thank you very much, but no. Um, and that, that would have been easy. But then I told myself, I mean, this, these are things you just, you got to learn these things. And so I, you know, I said, yes. And then I hang up the phone. I said, oh, how am I going to do this? You know, but I had a lot of time to prepare. And I, and I think that just made it comfortable. So I think going back to your question is all about being prepared for me and coming in there and talking about things that is natural to you, to, you know, sharing my stories and sharing my advice, you know, not trying to be somebody you're not. And when you can be yourself, a lot of times it's a lot easier. I also think that, you know, we're both involved in sports where 20 years ago, the discussion around mental health and mental well-being would have been on the back burner. It was probably in the margins, if at all, uh, in any conversations. But I, well, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. And look, we're, we're talking sadly in the wake of uh, the loss of one of our great sports leaders, Jacques Rogg, uh, president of the International Olympic Committee, who, who sadly died just recently. And Jack uh, reached the upper echelons of his sport and then, of course, the International Olympic Committee, but always did so uh, looking at his landscape through the eyes of a competitor. Now, you're president of the International Golf uh, Federation. Do you similarly go about your daily duties in the delivery of the sport and all the other things that I know goes with the governance of uh, of a major federation i'm guessing you would always look through the eyes of a competitor at any of the situations that you are encountering yeah i think so i mean i think just experiences and i mean there's a lot of look and learn um you know but i think that you know when you get older you step away from competition you start to see it from other people's perspective uh but i would say it's invaluable to have been there in in that particular seat. And, you know, a lot of people can talk about it, but, you know, they can say, yeah, you get nervous and it's exciting and all those, but if you haven't been there, you don't know what kind of nerves we're talking or you don't know what kind of, you know, uh, satisfaction you get when, when you achieve something, when you put all those hours and weeks and years, you know, and, and that, that feeling, I think it's, uh, it's hard to describe unless you've been there. So, so it's very valuable, uh, definitely. And, and, you know, how can you relate to, as an athlete and, and make it more real, you know, <laughs> make it more um, the way, you know, other athletes perceive it because that's really in the end of, of the day that, you know, they are the one that are going to do it. Right. So, um, so yeah, definitely. And, and so I think it's very helpful, but again, like I said, you know, when you early on in your career, as you know, I mean, you all just focused on performance, it's just performance, it's results. And, you know, you just kind of get very blindsided, I think, uh, and then when you step away, you start seeing other things. And I think you can start putting the pieces together. And uh, But I think that's just a, a matter of maturity and, and the journey that we're on. I mean, of course, you wish you had your knowledge today, uh, but then have the youth and, and the freshness. Again, you know what kind of performance you would have had. But uh, there's no doubt that the sport has really helped me in, with the role I'm in and, and how we move forward. Let me just, in a way, focus a little bit more 
on, on your career because mm -hmm. I've already run through the lustrous list of, of, <laughs> of titles and victories and 200 you know top 10 finishes but I've always had a particularly tough litmus test uh, in sport uh, around a career and that for me uh, is about longevity it's the ability to not just do it on a one-off occasion or even a one season but to continually come back and strive for more um, and for me, it's always about how competitors punch through adversity. It could be illness, it could be injury, um, some of the mental challenges that you've already talked about. What do you think is the key ingredient for what you've done? And just, Annika, the length of time, I'm not trying to carbon date you here, but just the length <laughs> no, of okay. time yeah. that you've, you've done it over because I think there are some really important lessons for young people yeah it probably is you know I think there's a few things just you know randomly coming out of my head and I mean first of all it needs to be fun right I mean you need to enjoy what you're doing mm -hmm. um, and I think also number two is you know you need to be motivated and be excited uh, because I can tell you the day that I wasn't that's when the when I made the decision to step away you know, if you don't if you don't wake up in the morning and you're not hungry to, you know, put in the work and you know being excited about possibilities, you know, I think it just, you know, the flame is kind of gone, right? That's 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 what's so important. And I think in my case is, you know, started out as golf was, you know, I thought it was a slow sport. It took me a while to appreciate the sport. I played soccer, I played tennis, I did downhill skiing, and I love sports. I'm very competitive, uh, but golf just seemed like a sport for people too and um but once I you know once I got kind of hooked on the game I was just so much to learn and so much to do and so much to figure out and every day was very different you had to adjust to weather to you know to courses and everything that you and I thought I love that challenge it was always very challenging and wake up in the morning and say okay how am I going to tackle this today and what am I going to work on so I felt like there was always something that I could do always something new to explore whether it was putting whether it was you know, short putts, long putts, whether it was speed putts, whether it was bunker. I mean, I can go on and on and on. I had always something to work on. And, you know, I would set up goals. So I'm going to achieve this and this and this. So I would say, you know, I'm quite structured, quite disciplined. Uh, and I always wanted to improve. So by having these goals, I felt like there was always, you know, the, I think the analogy that I use a lot of times when I talk to young girls is, is like a ladder, you know, and I take one step and I take another step and another step rather than just looking at the very top and it just seems impossible to get there. And I would just say, take one step at a time. And, and I felt like every day I had had one step to take. And therefore it's just, I never really looked at the, the time frame. It was just more, this is what I'm going to do. And, and I kept going, but I think it was fun. And, and the better I played, the more excited I got the, because I felt like I hadn't reached my full potential. So it's like, wow, if I can do this and I'm not really, I haven't blossomed yet. What what could that be? So I had always something to to look forward to, and and um, that's what I think is really you know the key for me. Um, and I think you need to have a long term perspective on things. I think a lot of kids nowadays we have this short term gratification. It's like oh, I didn't get it, and then they they throw the towel in, or they don't want to put the energy into it, or they didn't get out what they wanted, and you know I. I had a lot of patience. Maybe golf teaches you patience, but I had a lot of patience. And, you know, of course there were days it didn't go, but 
didn't make me quit. On the contrary, it was like, okay, now I'm, now I'm more determined, you know, to figure it out. So I think those are a few things uh, that helped me stay in the game and keep on working and keep on setting new goals. Uh, but I do know in 2007, the end of the year, I lost my motivation. I lost the desire. I lost, there was nothing else I wanted to achieve. And, and it was like, that was it. You know, you, certain things you can't create. If it's not there, it's not there. And I try to, I always used to have a fifth gear. You know, my caddy and I would always say, I need to put my fifth gear in. And it just naturally came. I found the fifth gear and I, I was able to elevate my game. But all of a sudden that fifth gear didn't exist anymore. And then I, it's just like, you know, I'm done. And it's okay to be done. <laughs> yeah, it's the toughest decision. But sometimes the decision to step away from competition is often the most obvious and in a way internally the easiest it's always tough for other people and my my attitude was always i'd rather have people saying why did you retire rather than why didn't you retire i think you know <laughs> you you want you want to hold that control yeah annika you you introduced two interesting themes for me and i'd like just briefly to pick up on them in your just in the conversation a few moments ago you talked about the fact that you played all sorts of other sports, football, tennis, I think. Do you think it's important? Would you encourage young people before they specialise in a particular sport to really get that grounding and maybe the complementary skills that can often add physicality and, 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 and mental strength to the ultimate sport that you decide to focus upon? Absolutely. I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, it's so important uh, to try different sports for the reasons that you just mentioned. You know, I think that, a, you know, as a young kid, I mean, if you would have told me at the age of 10, you can only pick one sport, I would have picked tennis and you and I would not have had this conversation. Uh, well, you, you know, never know. That's true. But I mean, my backhand was terrible. And, you know, my future, I probably would have, you know, um, I was I ended up being a tennis uh, coach rather than a player. And, and I studied to be a chemical engineer. So, you know, I would not have been introduced to golf, I don't think. Well, Annika, you would never, you certainly wouldn't have come across me on the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, but um, so I think, you know, just by eventually just realizing tennis was not my sport, then I, you know, then it was soccer and I love the team element and I love the cardio. I loved, you know, being outside and all those things. But again, you know, if I would have just specialized in soccer, I, you know, my career would have been short. And, I just think you learn so much. Uh, and also at that age, you're too young to even know what you really like. That's why, I mean, with, with our kids, we have a 12 and a 10 year old. I mean, we, you know, we throw a lot of sports at them and try, what do you like? You know, do you like this and, and let them pick and let them have fun. And, you know, what they liked early, they don't like now. And, and um, so I think there's still room. I mean, people ask me, when did you stop playing golf? I said, at the age of 12. And they look at me, what? You mean you were not a scratch player by the age of eight? And I yeah. said, no, you know, and I, I know so many kids that are so talented and, and they have great handicaps and then they grow up and they realize that they have, because they specialized, you know, all they did was train one sport and then they get to the age of 16 and they're burned out. They never want to see a golf club anymore. And they don't want to even want to hear about the sport. And it's such a, such a shame, right? So yeah, I'm all for, you know, for avoiding specialization early there's going to come a point, of course, when when you just feel like that's all you want to do and you want to focus on one sport. And it's hard with coaching today. You know, I see with our kids, I mean, the, the coaches, they demand so much commitment at such an early age that you end up, you know, not playing the sport because it's it takes away from 
family activities and other sports. And it's just, I think it's more hurtful than letting a kid be a kid. And, and that's how you, you know, explore and get better. I have to ask this question amongst the list of achievements. What was the highlight of your career? And, and, and I'm guessing it, I've asked this question of other guests I've had on podcasts, particularly those in sport. Uh, and sometimes those highlights have not been the ultimate success. It can be mm-hmm. actually punching through a period in a career where there's been, mm-hmm. you know, real challenges. Yeah. No, I mean, I look back in my career and I mean, there are several things that I look as important and, you know, highlights. And, you know, it's like you said, it's not always, you know, a winning thing, but um, I do think when I won the U.S. Open in 1995, you know, it was my second year on tour. I mean, I didn't really think I could win a single golf tournament on the LPJ, And here I go and I win the U.S. Open, you know, the biggest championship. And what I think what that did from a mental perspective and just, I mean, obviously gave me the confidence that, you know, I made the right decision to leave college and turn professional. You know, it, it gave me just the confidence knowing that, you know, I belong out here, you know. Uh, but also what it did is it, it fired me up because I was just, it was year two. And, and again, it was, you know, I was far from ready. I felt like I, I could improve there, there, there. I mean, I felt like I had just started this journey. So that, I think that had such a, an important, it, yeah, it was so important for me to be able to make, you know, from move on from that, knowing that it was, it was relaxing. You know, I'm, I was, I got a big check and all of a sudden I felt like there was no, I didn't have to worry about money. You know, I can put that aside. You know, just there's always people that have doubts. And, you know, I had a lot of friends that say, Monica, what do you do when you don't play golf? I said, that's my job. Well, you can't play golf all day. I said, well, that's what I do. <laughs> and so I think, you know, just the boost of knowing I made a good decision. And then after that, I just kind of played on, if you know what I mean. So I think it really wasn't just, you know, winning that tournament. It was just a lot more than that. Let me just give a sort of contemporary feel because... Mm-hmm. We're sort of, as I've said, uh, we're into the opening salvos of, uh, of this year's Ryder Cup, but it was only a few weeks ago uh, that we watched uh, Team Europe's thrilling Solheim Cup uh, win over uh, Team USA, I think about a fortnight ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think it was special for a variety of reasons, not the least of which was just the sheer volume of people, but also watching that that's not so long ago there were these rather sort of tedious tiresome questions about whether team europe could even compete at that level mm-hmm, uh, i remember that <laughs> team US. well yeah i mean it was you know it was it was a very common theme do you get the impression that this solheim cup win was really uh, a watershed moment uh, for women's golf yeah absolutely no i remember the conversations i remember the articles and thinking that we have to bring you know solheim cup has lost this it's excitement and, you know, the European team is not strong enough and maybe we need to, because, you know, you know, the Asian players have started, you know, to have quite an impact on, on women's golf. And they said, well, maybe it should be USA against Europe and Asia and, you know, changing the format and all those things. And I remember uh, the people that have been involved were like, no, 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 just give us time. I mean, it's like any sport, it goes in cycles and now it's changed. And, you know, Europe has now won, you know, more the last few years. And it now is putting the pressure on the U.S. And we see that in the Ryder Cup, as you know. I mean, uh, the men, the European men have won seven out of the last nine times. I mean, and it, it's just really fascinating 
that you know you get more of the top ranked player in the world on one team and and somehow they cannot get it together uh it says a lot more it, it's a team you know there's no i in team right and that's just really what the european has displayed so but going back to soham cup i think it's just it's great for competition you know the rivalry is there and uh you know i know little uh little young girls are you know they're putting on their wish list or bucket list one day to be part of it because it's uh, you know it's a big deal in women's golf and you've obviously through that those dual roles of playing and captaining you've i'm guessing really absorbed some lessons around uh, esprit de corps team building the types types of things that you know go way way beyond the golf course yeah no it is i mean it's 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 a it's a unique situation i mean you you know when you are appointed a captain you have a little less than two years, let's say 18 months to, you know, to put a plan together and, you know, whether you're playing on home soil or, you know, you're in the U S and, um, you know, and then you start looking at maybe 20 players and then eventually you narrow it down. I mean, you have to have 12 in the end, uh, whether they qualify or whether you pick a few and then, you know, these personalities that they play against each other, you know, 99% of the time, uh, the, the times they didn't was in junior golf where they represented their country, perhaps. Uh, but, you know, they're just individuals. They travel on their own. You know, they got their own caddy and just kind of their own support system. And all of a sudden it's like, how do we get them all together on the yeah. same page? Yeah. And, you know, having a good atmosphere in the, in the you know, in the, in the team room and locker room and just standing there on the first tee and really feel like you won. You know, you won unit and not 12 <laughs> different units. And. Um, so, you know, what I learned quickly is, you know, just, uh, you know, keep in mind, I mean, I was one of those individuals, you know, where you are, you know, it's number one in the world and, you know, everybody look, look at you and trying to tear you down from your, you know, from your pedestal on number one. And, um, so it becomes a very, you know, kind of individual sport in that sense. And all of a sudden it's like, I had to open up, you know, who am I? I need to share who I am and I need to know who you are. What do you like? Who do you hang out with? So we can connect and find a common theme other than golf. And it was really fun. I like, I like doing it. I mean, because by the end of the week, I felt like you have new, new best friends, right? The memories you, you have together, you know, the ups and the downs. And so it's very strong bond. And um, it, of course it would be different if we played this, let's say a few times a year, it would be a lot easier. Uh, but then again, it probably wouldn't have the excitement that it does, but you know, team sports, I can see how they do that every single week you know, cause it, it becomes natural to them, but golfers, it's like, okay, put that thing aside and, and here we go. <laughs> yeah. And okay. It's the adage of all good coaches, isn't it? That, you know, mm-hmm. you have to know at least as much about the people you're working with uh, alongside the, you know, the ability to impart technical advice and, uh, 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 and coaching skill. Look, the, the Ryder Cup is perhaps the most iconic event on the uh, golfing calendar. And we're, witnessing the beginning of probably another epic uh, round uh, of the Ryder Cup this weekend in uh, Michigan. But I want to look at the future of the event. Uh, In 2018, it was Paris. In 2023, it'll be in Rome uh, before moving on to Ireland in 2027. You must be pretty happy that it's going beyond the British mainland uh, and into mainland Europe and maybe even a stop off in Scandinavia. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the Soham Cup has uh, been played in in Sweden twice um, because at that time we had lots. I mean, at some point, I want to say we had five players on the team were Swedes. So it was kind of a natural thing. 
but yeah, I think it's great that we are exploring other venues. You know, it's a way to, um, you know, to grow the game, I think. I mean, just look at Paris uh, last time they played. You know, they, I mean, they've not seen anything like it. You know, they, the golf course they set up was like a stadium golf course. And, the, you know, it's really not a, a golfing nation. You know, France is not a golfing nation, but it has changed. It has changed. And I think some of these events is, is, is helping that. I mean, you're familiar with the Olympics too. It, it's, you know, when you go to certain venues, it's just changes. a little, Anna, just yeah, a little. exactly. So, <laughs> you know, so it's, I think it changes, you know, the mindset of a lot of people. And, you know, when we're going to go, like you said, to Rome, I mean, it's just, it's just very, I think it's fantastic. I mean, we, you know, golf needs to grow on a global perspective. We need to go in places where it's not the culture, but let's, let's bring the culture there and they can add their own culture and we can make it grow together. So expanding it and giving other players a, uh, an opportunity. And I think it's, a, you know, we're talking about, you know, different places, how they host an event. And, and that's what's so neat as a player when you go to these different countries and, you know, next year, next time in, for the women. So I'm kept to going to Spain. You know, I've never seen anybody so excited. You know, they, I mean, obviously golf has been a big sport there, but they've never hosted a, a tournament of this caliber yeah. and it's going to be fabulous. So yeah, it'll be off. The, it'll be off the graph in terms of yeah. support. Yeah. It'll be, exactly. be phenomenal. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to Rome because I lived in Rome as a competitor okay. for a yeah. number of years and trained on a whole number of golf courses in and around Rome early in the morning before um, anybody could prevent me from, from uh, <laughs> I was personally as a runner I always found it safer to run right down the middle of the fairway than out in the rough because that's where most balls seem to end up but I'm not <laughs> that's that's not at the elite level um I'm I'm interested you 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 raised the Olympic Games I obviously wanted to talk about that a little bit you were instrumental in choreographing its journey back into uh, the Olympic movement. I think it had effectively been away for, for many, many years. You've talked about globalising the game of golf, and that's the challenge all federations have, of course. Yeah. Uh, I guess you see the Olympic Games as a really important uh, part of that, and its, uh, its inclusion uh, back into, in 2016 in, in Rio, again, uh, a big step forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, uh, I mean, I like to say it's a win-win for golf and for, you know, the IOC to be able to showcase golfers. Um, you know, I think what we provide is a little different than other sports. You know, people always have the argument, well, you already have so many tournaments, you already have majors and everything, but, you know, I have a lot of those trophies, but I do not have an Olympic medal. And it would have been the coolest thing to represent my my country uh, in my sport at you know, at my peak at some point, um, just because I grew up watching the Olympics summer and winter, uh, and a lot of my heroes were Olympians. And, you know, I, I just, we just never had that in my generation of golf. And so, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, how do we grow it? And how do we other golfers of the next generation get that opportunity? I mean, it's, it's really is a lot of pressure to do it once every four years. I mean, majors, it's tough, but we have four a year. You know, so within that period of four years, you literally have 16 majors to play and then you're only going to have one Olympic. That to me is real pressure. And um, so I think, you know, from that perspective is I think it's a challenge for the player. Uh, but I also think just the camaraderie and all the other athletes, golfers to be part of it and be considered in, in that group. And uh, I think it's, it's great for the sport. I think it opens up more, you know, 
just athletes want to play golf and because a lot of people always say well golfers was kind of the leftover athletes that didn't make it in the basketball team that didn't make it in the soccer team they were like okay let's go play golf oh you can handle that so um, I mean I think that has changed now of course because we have great great athletes out there but but just being part of the atmosphere but from a growing perspective I mean I, I think just for golf I mean we always talk about how do we reach more golfers and you know we have some nations that doesn't need help, but there are some nations that do need help. And, and as you know, a lot of the Federation, they support it if you're in, if you're an Olympic sport. So, I mean, it's been some really some success stories, you know, where you have this young girl, I think it was in Rio from Israel and, and, you know, we've never heard of her. And all of a sudden she's out there in, you know, uh, in front of everybody and, and they started to build driving ranges. They started, I mean, just from a grassroots level. And to me, I mean, that is just, that's priceless. I mean, that would not have happened. And, giving young girls and boys that opportunity to, to see that range and go out and, and start building their dreams. So, yeah, I think it's huge. And, uh, you know, I know from a fact that, you know, just in Tokyo that, you know, through COVID and everything golf, you know, really kind of helped out with some of the procedures that we have taken to, you know, to be able to, to hold, you know, safe and healthy games uh, and sport events. So, yeah, I think it's terrific for the game of golf and I, it, but it's going to take time. I mean, you know, that we've all take time for this young generation to, put in together that, you know, wow, you know, yeah, maybe Arnold Palmer didn't win a, a gold medal, but, you know, soon you're going to see, well, this person did this and, you know, and their, their heroes have medals and then it's going to be. But, we, but we, we had exactly, if you remember, there was exactly mm-hmm. the same discussion when tennis came back into, yes. um, back mm-hmm. into the Olympic movements. And I always, uh, I always remember uh, sitting, chatting to Boris Becker and asking him, you know, that his career highlight and without, any question at all he just immediately said the olympic games mm. and i said what even over winning wimbledon three times he said yeah 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 it was the olympic games and i mm. saw it i saw it actually f- at first hand in my duties in london as president of the organizing committee for the games i watched i mean it was a great moment for british tennis because um, uh, andy murray walked off as victor but i saw the complete look of desolation in the face uh, of Roger Federer, who probably knew that was possibly the last moment he had to win an Olympic title. So it mm-hmm. really does matter to the competitors. And I know having spoken to, to Justin, uh, how he values uh, his Olympic title. But look, you, you talked about uh, Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as Federation president, I can tell you, I, I you know, we all had a huge challenge in delivering our sports <laughs> yeah. under some of the most extreme circumstances. Um, what what were your Tokyo experiences other than sort of being in the hotel and going to the golf course <laughs> and the golf course back to the hotel? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I mean, I applaud the IOC for what they did. It was, like you said, probably the hardest games you've ever put on and hopefully it will be, will be the hardest and, you know, be easier from here on. Uh, but I think, you know, we've always said that sports unite people, sports put people together and, you know, we have to move on. And and I think everything really worked out very well. Uh, from a golf perspective, that's where I spend most of my time. I thought it turned out super exciting, both on the men and the women's side. You know, I don't, there was seven players that played for a bronze medal on the men's side. And one of them was Rory McIlroy, who's, you know, it's been, he's one of the top yeah. players. And, you know, his commentary after was, I don't think I've ever been this nervous to play to, for a third place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that yeah. says a lot, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. you know, these guys make, make millions uh, on the course and off the course. And, 
And at this point, they had nothing to do with that. It had to do with, you know, obviously the medal, the pride and knowing that you were, you know, with one of the, the top three. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I think that was the story was great there. And then on women's side, obviously, we had a playoff also and um, with a Japanese player, which made it, uh, you know, for the locals, you know, to cheer on made a little bit more exciting. So, yeah. I, I mean, I was I was proud of it. I was proud to be part of it and be there and and really, um, you know, execute it the way we possibly could have the best way. And and I mean, I, I know it's um, we can look back at this and but I think uh, the IOC should be proud. No, I, I quite agree. I mean, I think it was a, an amazing and, and collaborative effort. And mm-hmm. uh, and looking back, I, I would say this, wouldn't I? I think all the federations and the International Olympic Committee were absolutely right to, to, to push on with that. And sometimes in the face of, of levels of, of criticism. Look, you've already talked um, about growing the sport uh, and it, its global footprint. But I guess I know the answer to this, but I guess that you see that being important. But what is also essential is that it grows alongside the development of diversity and inclusion in your school. Yeah, absolutely. And I think IOC has done a super job there. You know, they have the platform to really not just talk about it, but to do it, to put it into play um, for a lot of reasons. And I think, you know, that's just one of the things that we can learn everybody, you know, some countries are better than others and some sports are better than others. But I, you know, from a golf perspective, I, you know, I was very proud to see that I think we've had it in both Olympics, you know, at Rio and Tokyo and, you know, the treatment of the men, the treatment of the women, you know, opportunity for men, the opportunity for women. It, I mean, it's really head to head. And, and I mean, I know the women are just, you know, they applauded big time and are super thankful for that. And, you know, and I think that that's just something that, sport is really showing the rest of the world, you know, this can be done and it should be done. And, and it really shouldn't be, you know, an afterthought, if you know what I mean, it's just, uh, and I, that's what makes me m- m- proud to be a part of it and, and see that golf, you know, if we can do it there, we should be able to do it in every tournament we do. So I think that's something we're going to continue to push, continue to, um, to highlight and, you know, just put it at the forefront uh, because it works. And the European Tour, of course, took the initiative this year of creating the um, Scandinavian Mixed. That's now mm-hmm. uh, in the calendar. Uh, and that was hosted by you and your compatriot, Henry. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting concept. You know, one golf course, different tees, of course. Yeah. Uh, one, one trophy and one, you know, just one price, uh, price money. And, uh, you know, the tricky thing there is obviously to set up the course right, because <laughs> it could be, you know, it could be skewed one way, it could be skewed the other, and then, you know, they don't want to come and play again. But I thought they did an excellent job. There was a lot of data, a lot of statistics behind, you know, the setup and, you know, a lot of communication between players in the tournament. And I think it worked out really well. And, and a lot of um, other federations and associations and tournament, you know, organizers were looking at this concept, you know, is this something we can do? Um, you know, I don't think it's going to change, you know, every tournament to this, but I think it's it's a fun way again to how do we make golf exciting? You know, how do you bring in more people or how do we, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about sponsors, right? Every, all the, these companies out there, they talk about equality and it's going to be more inclusive and all this. And then you come with it with a tournament concept and it just doesn't fit. But here you have men and women. And it's like, it's what we call in golf. It's teed up for you, right? It's teed yeah. up. You gotta go. So just, you know, be part well, of it and enjoy it. A mixed rider cup? <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. 
Yeah. Wow. Now you got me thinking. <laughs> you, heard it, you heard it here first. Yes, we heard it here first. Uh, Annika, it doesn't really surprise me that you would have chosen to have used your elevated position both as a competitor and now as a, uh, as a senior administrator in the game uh, to want to put something back in the uh, Annika Foundation. Uh, which I talked about a little bit in my opening remarks, amongst its aims is really to promote the growth of uh, golf amongst uh, young girls. I guess this is particularly given everything you've already said, this must be very close to your heart. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm super, super excited and proud and happy with you know the, the team that we have to put these events together to be able to inspire the next generation of young girls. You know, I like to share my passion, my knowledge, uh, for, for the sport, but help them along the way. You know, it's a little bit of a mentoring position as well and not just tournaments, but we do have seven global tournaments. And, you know, when I stepped away 13 years ago, I, you know, I knew I wanted to do something. I just couldn't pinpoint it at the time, but, you know, I looked down and so what are some of the things that I understand? And I understand golf, I understand female sport, you know, global. I mean, I, you know, coming from Sweden, we had to travel all the way to the world to, to play some golf. And, and I wanted to be first class and I wanted to be, you know, just a high end, you know, the top, top level competition. So we put all those, you know, little uh, characters and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. And so uh, it's been, it's been so rewarding to be, be amongst these players that have so much energy and you know, they're sponges, you know, they come to our tournaments, you know, the ages, uh, 13 to 18 and they it's, first of all it's a crucial age for young girls you know uh, there's a lot of distractions out there whether it's technology school boyfriends shopping I mean you name it and, and you know if you don't not really focused on sport it's it's hard to you know to um, not to get distracted so we wanted to create you know something that they look forward to playing in and so now we host you know we host one in the U.S. one in Europe one in Australia one in Asia and then one in South America and um, you know the top three earns a spot into our final in the U.S. So, it, you know, it's really kind of a, a rewarding situation. We have college coaches that come and watch them. So it's become a recruiting spot for many. And, you know, a lot of these young girls would never had a chance to showcase their skill if, you know, if it wasn't for, for an event like this. And we've had several players, you know, coming from different places. I mean, one story I'll never forget, it was a young lady from South Africa. It was a big commitment for her to come and play in the U.S. And, um, you know, she lost uh, the tournament in a playoff, but she walked away with a scholarship. And to me, that was just like so, so neat and giving her that chance and, you know, to just kind of explore and uh, go play college golf. And so, yeah, it's been, you know, the, it's so funny when you start looking into things and you realize that women's golf has just really not been on the forefront in many places. And, you know, five years ago when we started Danica um, Invitational in, in Argentina, there was no tournament that just had girls they were all you know they start with boys and then it's kind of successful then they have a little division for girls uh and that's not a bad thing but it's like i we wanted them to just have the whole tournament by themselves and just because it's so important with the young girls the way they interact with each other and you know feeling comfortable and building friendships and you know the memories together and and that that helps them continue to play and they would you know, each tournament, we would have probably 16 to 20 different countries represented. So they go home to these to their home country. And now they're influencers, they're influencers within their peer group and talk about this. And, and that's how we can somehow help them to grow. And then, you know, the following year, we would get more players. So it's been really, you know, really rewarding. And 
Um, I mean, I enjoy spending time with them and they keeps me, they keep me young for sure. Um, but also just feeling, you know, you, you feel good when you get, get back, you know, just, you know, I'm lucky. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for golf. So what, how, what can I do to help somebody else within their sport? And, and eventually, I guess, some of those young players, we hope, becoming the president of the International Golf Federation. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, you by being around and doing that, you're, you're opening the door for them to start dreaming what's possible. You know, you might think, oh, I'm from... You know, I'm from Argentina and, and who am I? But just, just open the door. I mean, you want people to start dreaming and, and start following the dreams by opportunities. So here's an opportunity to play. And if you play well, you maybe go to scholarship. And now in the U.S., you learn another language. You, you meet new people and you open, you know, your eyes for other things. And, and I think that's just really, that's, it's so neat. I don't want to usher your career through too quickly, particularly your administrative one. It's great mm-hmm. that you're, as a former competitor, you're out there now leading a sport. We, we all encourage people to do that. Um, but at the end of your presidency, where would you like to see the global game? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually think that golf is, is in a very good spot. I really do. I mean, yeah. I, my, uh, my previous president, Peter Dawson, together with, you know, Anthony Scallion, who does, you know, most of the work and his team, I mean, they've done an excellent job. I feel like now it's just kind of nurturing and, and continue to maintain uh, and make sure that our interests are aligned and that we can continue uh, to be part of the Olympics. But also, I'm hoping that we can play, a, you know, play a bigger role and, and be a bigger voice uh, by sharing what golf does, you know, because I think we can all learn from each other. Um, so, you know, by the end of the day, it, it needs to be a win-win for everybody. And I, I think golf is in, in such a good path on this. So uh, continue to just get golf more, ex- you know, exposure uh, keep the interest going. And I mean, the more people we'll bring into, you know, to the Olympics, we'll bring into the golf and vice versa. So, um, you know, I'm just looking, looking for more countries to be re- represented, more excitement in the tournaments, maybe look at some of the coverage to make it more appealing to, you know, to the viewers and people out there. But, um, you know, I feel like so far they've done an excellent job. I'm going to let you go and uh, follow the Ryder Cup. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've been very generous with your time. No, uh, thank, thank you for you. some for some wonderful and very candid insights. Yeah. yeah, no, I enjoyed chatting with you, and good to see you again. And thanks for everything you have done. Thank you. You've been listening to extraordinary tales brought to you by CSN. 